You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. We wanted to let you know that yesterday we released members episode number 131. It's the first show of a two-parter about the New York City draft riots in July 1863. Yesterday, we posted that episode on Patreon, like we always do, for the members of the Strawfoot Brigade, but as of this afternoon, we've made it available to everyone in the hopes that many of you might head over to Patreon and check it out and perhaps think about joining the Strawfoot Brigade and helping support the podcast in that way. So members episode number 131 is now free to everyone, although you will need to go over to patreon.com backslash Civil War podcast to listen to it. And then next weekend, we'll release part two about the New York City draft riots, and that will once again just be available to members. So we hope that makes sense. As Tracy said, you can go directly to Patreon, which is the website or the platform we use to host all the members material. Or there's a link you can follow if you go to the podcast website first, which is www. Civilwarpodcast.org. And there's also information there on the website about what it means to join the Strawfoot Brigade and support the podcast on a monthly basis. So, as Rich would say, there you go. Now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to episode 384 of our Civil War podcast. I'm Rich. And I'm Tracy. Hello y'all. Welcome to the podcast. As you guys will recall, with the last episode we turned our focus west to Tennessee and talked a bit about what was going on after the Battle of Stones River with the two major armies in that theater of the war, the Federalist Army of the Cumberland commanded by Major General William Rosecrans, and the Confederates' Army of Tennessee, commanded by General Braxton Bragg. Really, what we did with the last show was start to set the stage for the Tullahoma campaign. And we don't think we're going very far out on a limb to say that the Tullahoma campaign, which took place over the course of 11 days in late June and early July 1863, isn't very well known outside of dedicated students of the Civil War. Its significance has largely been overshadowed by other battles and events taking place elsewhere at the same time that summer, namely the conclusion of the Siege of Vicksburg in Mississippi and the three days of bloody fighting at Gettysburg in Pennsylvania. That the Tullahoma campaign isn't better known is a bit of a shame, since it can be argued that its impact on the course of the war was no less important than what happened at Vicksburg or Gettysburg. 
That's because Rosecrans' remarkable success there in Tennessee during the Tullahoma campaign capped nine months of clashes in the volunteer state between the Federals and Confederates from November 1862 to July 1863. Both Stones River and Tullahoma proved to be vital links in the chain of Federal advances that took them from Kentucky to Chattanooga to Atlanta and beyond. Here's a bit of Civil War trivia for you, but it's estimated that nearly 40% of the war's engagements occurred in Tennessee. The volunteer state's strategic location between Kentucky and the Deep South virtually guaranteed that it would be a major battleground. As a result, Tennessee hosted many important battles, from Fort Donelson and Shiloh in 1862 to Franklin and Nashville in 1864. As longtime listeners to the podcast will remember, two key rivers, the Cumberland and the Tennessee, provided good axes of advance for federal forces into the Confederacy. In fact, Nashville, the state capital and located on the Cumberland River, fell to the Federals in February 1862 and after that became an important base for later operations against the Confederacy. Allegiances in the state were deeply divided, and men from Tennessee served on both sides during the war. Both Washington and Richmond recognized Tennessee's importance and committed significant resources to this theater of operations. Each side fielded its second-largest army in the volunteer state, the Union's Army of the Cumberland and the Rebels' Army of Tennessee. Possession of the mountain town of Chattanooga and its key rail junction came to dominate the strategies of both sides as the federal forces sought to push down the axes of the Nashville and Chattanooga Railroad through Chattanooga and into Georgia, while the Confederates sought to halt and reverse the blue tide flowing southward. The rebels' failure to do so was one of the key turning points of the war. The goal of Rosecrans' operations in Tennessee was ultimately the capture of Chattanooga, after Tullahoma, the Federals would control the door to Chattanooga with all its possibilities, since that small town on the banks of the Tennessee River, with its imposing geography, was one of the true strategic points of the Civil War. Situated in southeastern Tennessee, just miles from North Georgia, Chattanooga was located literally right along the border of the Upper South and the Deep South. Although only a town of about 2,500 people at the time of the Civil War, Chattanooga by 1863 was a point of considerable significance since, after Richmond and perhaps Atlanta, it was the most important rail junction remaining to the Confederacy. While for the Federals, the railroads that came together at Chattanooga made it the logistical gateway to any advance into Georgia and other areas of the Deep South. All of that's to say that the capture of Chattanooga was absolutely essential to any future federal invasion of the southeastern portion of the Confederacy. Exactly. So, in 1863, as spring turned to summer, 
and as Washington prodded William Rosecrans to advance from his base at Murfreesboro, his ultimate target was Chattanooga, over 100 miles down the track of the Nashville and Chattanooga Railroad, which would be his supply line when he finally did move south. Meanwhile, Braxton Bragg had set up his headquarters at Tullahoma, some 35 or so miles down the railroad from Murfreesboro, and deployed his infantry in a wide defensive position that was a good 15 miles from end to end, with the rebel cavalry stretched far beyond on that on either flank. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. As we talked about in the last show, all was not well in the Confederate's Army of Tennessee. The sniping against Bragg by his discontented officers continued without let-up, as did the public criticism of Bragg in the Southern press. However, whatever else might be said about Braxton Bragg, no one could doubt his administrative ability, and so the army was actually increasing in numbers. So efficient was Bragg in administrating the Confederacy's Conscript Act and rounding up stragglers, that by late June 1863, the Army of Tennessee numbered 43,000 men. That's more than it had at Stones River, despite having detached over 11,000 men to assist Joe Johnston in Mississippi. It was with this force that Bragg would confront Rosecrans. As the Federals remained idle, the condition and morale of the rebel rank-and-file soldiers improved as a result of their extended rest in the Tullahoma area. On March 26th, Leonidas Polk wrote to his wife, saying, quote, We are strengthening our army every day. It is now in better condition than it has ever been, and would give a good account of itself without doubt. The Tullahoma campaign occurred in a region that was settled later than much of the rest of the state, with some interesting terrain features, at least from a military point of view. Three main roads radiated from Murfreesboro, running east to Bradyville, 
southeast to Manchester, and south to Shelbyville. Fifteen miles out of Murfreesboro stretched the Highland Rim, a line of steep hills that shielded the Confederate Army. The Highland Rim was broken by several gaps. Moving east to west, the three main ones, separating the two armies, were Hoover's Gap on the Manchester Pike, Liberty Gap north of the town of Bellbuckle, and Guy's Gap north of Shelbyville. Behind the Highland Rim stood a 40-mile-wide area known as the Barrens. The Barrens were bounded by Shelbyville to the west, Manchester to the northeast, and Winchester to the southeast. The Elk and Duck Rivers bisected the area, crossing any line of march to the southeast toward Chattanooga. The track of the Nashville and Chattanooga Railroad had been laid down through the Barrens in the early 1850s, giving rise to small, whistle-stop towns at various points along the line, such as Bellbuckle, Wartrace, Tullahoma, Deckard, and Cowan. East of Cowan loomed the mighty Cumberland Plateau, a daunting mountain range blocking the way to Chattanooga. Outside Cowan, a tunnel over 2,200 feet long was a key spot along the railroad. Confederate infantry and cavalry defended all the major routes leading out of Murfreesboro through the Highland Rim. Polk's Corps occupied the area around Shelbyville, south of Guy's Gap, while Hardy headquartered his corps at Wartrace, with his troops spread out behind Hoover's and Liberty Gaps. A thin line of cavalry and infantry pickets covered the gaps themselves, while more rebel horsemen guarded the Army of Tennessee's flanks. Brigadier General Nathan Bedford Forrest Division covered the Army's far left, and Major General Joseph Wheeler's Cavalry Corps was on the far right. Braxton Bragg believed a federal advance against Hardee the most likely scenario because he thought few generals would be foolish enough to throw their forces at the defensive works Polk had constructed at Shelbyville. If Rosecrans did advance like he expected, then Bragg planned to have Hardee fight a holding action against the Yankees, pinning them in place, while Polk swung forward and to the right to strike the enemy in the flank. However, Bragg realized that while positioning his forces behind the Highland Rim offered him certain defensive benefits, it also presented him with some challenges, the greatest being that the Federals could make the hills work for them, screening their movement until they popped through one of the gaps. Hardy would have to react quickly and decisively to confront any enemy penetration before it turned into a genuine breakthrough and led to the unraveling of the whole Confederate line. But if Bragg's task as the defender was challenging, that didn't mean that William Rosecrans faced an easy assignment as the attacker. Real and serious problems attended each of the possible ways that the Federals might get at the Confederates. As Bragg suspected, Rosecrans wanted to avoid a frontal assault on Polk's defensive works at Shelbyville on the Confederate left, so that eliminated a major Federal advance through Guy's Gap. Sticking close to the railroad and striking through Liberty Gap, or smaller Bellbuckle Gap, would take the Federals into the heart of Hardy's position in the Confederate center, 
So that also wasn't an option that held much appeal to Rosecrans. That left Hoover's Gap on the Confederate right. Yet there were several problems with that route as well. While a tolerably good turnpike passed through Hoover's Gap on its way from Murfreesboro down to Manchester, the gap itself was long and narrow, so that if the rebels reacted quickly, they could bottle up any federal advance there, stalling the Yankees' forward movement, while the terrain itself canceled out Rosecrans' advantage in numbers at the point of attack. Even if the rebels didn't react in time, Rosecrans would only be able to push through Hoover's Gap with a portion of his total force, since he would need to leave a sizable number of men covering the direct route to Murfreesboro, in case Bragg responded by advancing in that direction and then swinging around to catch the Federal attackers in the flank. True, a good road led from Hoover's Gap to Manchester, from which point Rosecrans could threaten Bragg's rear. But that road crossed Garrison's Fork of the Duck River and then climbed out of the river valley through the tight confines of a ravine known locally as Matt's Hollow. All of that's to say that Hoover's Gap offered plenty of opportunities for an active defender to make Rosecrans' life miserable. As Rosecrans pondered the situation from his headquarters in Murfreesboro, the problems attending any advance southward might have looked insurmountable, except for an important advantage that old Rosie possessed, and that was his detailed knowledge of Bragg's forces and their dispositions. Exactly. You see, Rosecrans was fielding an excellent intelligence operation there in Middle Tennessee. Although it was almost comically informal by modern standards, yet it was better than what most Civil War generals employed, and most importantly, a good deal better than anything Bragg had. These efforts, along with the Federal's increasingly active cavalry force, meant that Rosecrans understood the obstacles he faced as far as terrain and had a clear picture of rebel troop dispositions. And so, armed with that knowledge, he could turn his considerable intellect to finding a way to deal with those problems. While Rosecrans continued to ponder the situation, Lincoln and Halleck fumed in Washington. The president wrote on May 28th, quote, I would not push you to any rashness, but I am very anxious that you do your utmost, short of rashness, to keep Bragg from getting off to help Johnston against Grant. Rosecrans dismissed Lincoln's prodding by wiring back, Dispatch received. I will attend to it. Then on June 2nd, Halleck telegraphed, If you can do nothing yourself, a portion of your troops must be sent to Grant's relief. To that, Rosecrans promised action at some unspecified future date. He then polled his lieutenants in the hopes of finding support for his continued inaction. He wasn't disappointed, as the 15 generals were virtually unanimous in declaring their belief that an immediate advance wasn't a good idea. The only dissenter was Rosecrans' new chief of staff and future U.S. president, Brigadier General James Garfield. 
Even back then, Garfield had a keen eye for politics and may well have dissented and advised for an immediate advance because he knew that's what Washington wanted to hear. That Lincoln and Halleck weren't impressed by the near-unanimous opinion of the Army of the Cumberland's generals can be seen by the fact their dispatches during the next week made it clear that Rosecrans had pretty much exhausted their patience. On June 11th, Halleck telegraphed saying, quote, I deem it my duty to repeat to you the great dissatisfaction that is felt here at your inactivity. There seems to be no doubt that a part of Bragg's force has gone to Johnston. Five days later, Old Brains was even more blunt when he wired Old Rosie and asked, Is it your intention to make an immediate movement forward? A definite answer, yes or no, is required. That had the sound of an ultimatum, and yet in his reply, Rosecrans was still as evasive as he dared to be. He hedged, saying, if immediate means tonight or tomorrow, no. If it means as soon as all things are ready, say five days, yes. Well, that five days turned out to be almost eight. But finally, at just after 2 a.m. on Wednesday, June 24th, Rosecrans wired Halleck and told him, the army begins to move at three o'clock this morning. That means it's time for this episode's book recommendation, and our recommendation this time is Tullahoma, the Forgotten Campaign that Changed the Course of the Civil War, June 23rd to July 4th, 1863, by David A. Powell and Eric J. Wittenberg. You know, we don't read a lot of history books outside the Civil War, but we wonder if books about other historical periods go as over-the-top on long and or overly dramatic subtitles like so many Civil War books seem to do. Well, maybe it's just us, but over the course of doing the podcast the last almost 10 years, it's something we've noticed about a lot of Civil War books, and at times it gets a bit ridiculous. Uh, You guys can feel free to remind us of this when we release our book on Gettysburg, Mm -hmm. In any case, Powell and Wittenberg have an excellent book here on Tullahoma. And don't forget, you can find a list of all our book recommendations if you head over to the podcast website, which is www.civilwarpodcast.org. As we mentioned at the top of the episode, if you go to the website, you can find information about membership, or you can go straight to Patreon and sign up. Just like our newest members, Jack R., David P., Robin S., and Tammy H., Steve V., W. Harris, Jacob S., Alfred B., and Michael L., Marique D., Chris G., Bobby T., Brian B., and Kevin C., and thanks to Jeff W. for his donation, and to David A. for his gift. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of The Civil War, 1861 to 1865, a history podcast. Tracy and I do hope that you join us again next time, but until then, take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.